So we are continuing this series. We started uh, three weeks ago. This is week three of One Hit Wonders, and, and through this series, we are just looking at the one-chapter books of the Bible. And we've seen already, as we started with Philemon, that, that these are short books, but it doesn't mean that they're not full of lessons. Right? They're, they're, in fact, so short that oftentimes we skip right over them. In Scripture, we don't even maybe even know they're there or, or think, oh, it's not that important because it's, it's small. But, uh, but again, they are there for a reason, right? God put them in Scripture for a reason. And so you're spending a couple of weeks looking at some of these one-chapter one books. Like I said, we started uh, with the book of Philemon, and in that book we learned about the power of redemption. Then last week, we looked at the book of 2 John, and we saw the importance of how we define Jesus and the importance of living truth and love, and how truth and love are deeply connected, and this is a common theme that runs through all of John's writings. And now today, we're continuing the series as we look at the book of 3 John. So just like last week, um, this is a, a Johannine writing, meaning it was written by the Apostle John. Um, and just as we said last week, John's writing is distinctively different than Paul's writing. We, we are very, again, familiar with Paul's writing. He wrote most of the New Testament, and we spend a lot of our time there as we study the New Testament. But as we look at John's writing, we need to know the differences. Again, John tends to write in a circular logic, where he connects different topics together and, and points out the, the circular connection of those, like... Truth and love is a great, perfect example, right? Where Paul's writing is more linear in logic. Again, John is more emotional and eloquent in his writing, where Paul is more blunt and to the point. In John's writings uh, are in the Bible, and in fact, there um, are several books that he wrote. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are all letters, and he also wrote Revelation which is the last book of the Bible. Because of John's writing style and his circular logic, all of his writings are closely intertwined. And 3 John, again, is just like the others. It is, it is closely intertwined with his other writings. So if you have your Bible with you, we are going to read, again, the entire book of 3 John. So if you have your Bible, you can open with me to 3 John. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, uh, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. Uh, and you'll notice the page number on the outline there of where you can find Third uh, John in those Bibles. And if you're with us online, we're glad to have you uh, with us. Hopefully you have a Bible with you, close to you, you can open up with us to Third John. And like I said, we're going to uh, read the entire book. Um, but the, this book, even though it is 15 verses, where Second John was a few verses shorter, however, Third John technically is the shortest book in the New Testament. Um, when you go back to the original Greek words, there are 219 Greek words in 3 John, making it the shortest book in the New Testament. And so as, as we jump into this, um, again, we need to be reminded right, of the importance of truth and love in John's writings, and it is present in 3 John as well. Even though it's not as prominent as in 1 and 2 John, it is definitely there. So as, as we read this this morning... I encourage you to just notice where truth and love come into what he writes. So starting uh, 3 John at verse 1. It says, this letter is from John the Elder. I am writing to Gaius, my dear friend, 
whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you are living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. Dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be the leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. When I come, I will report some of the things that he is doing and the evil accusations he's making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him, and you know we speak the truth. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink, for I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. Your friends here send you their greetings. Please give my personal greetings to each of our friends there. Again, as we read this letter, we uh, notice right away that this is a very personal letter. Right? Unlike the first two Johannine letters, um, this one is written to a specific person with some very uh, personal advice. Um, and this makes 3 John very similar to what we looked at the first week in Philemon. And that was a Pauline letter that was, again, very personal right? and written to a very specific person for a specific situation. Also similar to Philemon, the main intention of this letter is it is a letter of recommendation, right, for a person who is in Christian service. John is writing again to his, his, his friend, right, and telling him to, to welcome him. That notice, though, that letter of recommendation, that, that recommendation of the person is literally just one very small verse in the entire letter, John says a lot of other things building up to this recommendation. We start off, we see the intro of 3 John, and the first four verses are the intro of the letter. Now, 3 John is a unique letter in the fact that it uses very strong theological foundations in its opening. This is not a typical opening to a Greek letter of the time. John comes at this from a very different angle, right, in in recommending his friend. But we, we first come to you at the end of this intro that the probably most famous verse out of 3 John, one that is quoted, one that might even be on a plaque in your house, right? And that is 3 John 1, 4. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. Full disclosure, this is actually on a plaque in my house, <laughs> Right? If you walk out of our mudroom, as we leave the house, you'll see this verse is on a chalkboard in that room. And, and, and for probably obvious reasons. Because right? I would have no greater joy than to have my four kids walk in the truth of Jesus. 
And, and yet, as we see that, though, we also see that the, the context of this is not talking about just our kids, right? It's talking about our, our spiritual kids. Because, again, John uh, was not the physical father, right, to, um, to Demetrius, right, or, or to Gaius, but he was the spiritual father of these men. That he had shared his faith with them, he had discipled them, they had grown up under his uh, teachings. Again, he's not speaking to just physical children, but to our spiritual children. Right? Which leads us, though, to the very first thing that we need to understand as we dive into to this letter, to this theological foundation that John lays right, in, in writing to, this rec- to recommend his friend. And that is the fact that every follower of Jesus is called to share their faith. Every follower of Jesus is called to share your faith. We, we, as a follower of Jesus, if we are committed to him and, and to live out his commands, then we should be sharing Jesus with other people. Right? Every believer is called to this mission. Because it's, in fact, it's exactly what Jesus told us to do. I mean, his, his parting words, right, after, after, his, after he died on a cross, after he rose again, after he, he appeared to the disciples and, and to, to hundreds of others, then, then Jesus passes the baton, right, from his public earthly ministry and passes it to the apostles to say, to start the church and to start spreading the gospel, right, to everyone. And again, his parting words, these are best words in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, this is known as the Great Commission, Right? This is the job description of the church, of everybody who follows Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, these are the words of Jesus, right? his, his commissioning of his followers to spread the gospel, the good news of who he is, and the good news of, of how to be saved. Every believer should have spiritual children. Right? One of the main goals of our faith right, is to be a disciple of Jesus that helps make other disciples of Jesus. Right? That's what our journey takes us on, our faith journey, right? as we become more and more like Christ every day. And as we cannot help but do... As that happens in our life, we cannot help but share the joy that we have. Right? That the world should be noticing that our lives are different because we are followers of Jesus. In fact, Peter gives us the commission of saying, you don't have to do anything other than live out your faith, and then people will literally ask you where your hope comes from, and then, that's, then you just tell them it's, it comes from Jesus. And that's is simply how you share your faith. But every believer was given this commission. But notice, though, again, the, the promise at the end of the Great Commission, right, is that Jesus is with us. We're not doing it by ourselves, and we're not doing it by our power, right? We, again, because the reality is we cannot save anyone. I can't save anyone. Only Jesus can save. Right? And, and yet he's with me. He guides us. He guides all of us, right, as we fulfill this commission. And as we look at this fact, I, I want to, to remind you of the fact, maybe you've looked at your calendar recently and realized that Easter is one month away. The, the pinnacle holiday of our faith, right, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and, 
And again, we're going to celebrate Easter. Now again, this Easter is going to be a lot better than last Easter, because last Easter we had to do it all online. Right? This Easter we get to come together as this church and we get to celebrate right, the resurrection. But also I bring this up because to say, remember, this Great Commission is still very true. And in fact, our world and our culture is more hungry for Jesus now than they've ever been in a lot of ways. And, and, and the further that the world moves from God's truths, the, the, the closer we need to get to Jesus and the more serious we have to be about sharing Jesus and reaching out. And so, again, I challenge us as a church to say Easter is one month away, which means you need to start praying now about who you're going to invite. Who are you going to bring with you on Easter? On Good Friday? All right, on Easter morning? Uh, as we celebrate, again, the resurrection of our Savior. You start praying for those people now and then start looking for the opportunity, right, to open doors with those people, to have those conversations and make those invitations. As you see this strong theological opening of the letter, John continues this strong theological focus as he lays the foundation for why he's really writing. Again, John kind of beats around the bush a little bit, right, to get to this point of recommending uh, his friend. Then we move on to the next section in the letter, which is verses 5 through 8, as John continues his strong theological focus. And he, he tells us, right, and just reiterates the fact that every follower of Jesus does not have the same role in the community of faith. Right, that there are lots of different roles. And, and in fact, he describes these different roles within the body of Christ. Right, he describes, obviously starts off that we're all working for the same goal, right? We all have the same commission to spread the gospel to the entire world and to, to expand God's kingdom, to build God's kingdom, not our own. Right? But then he describes here in this letter about all these different roles that happen within the community of faith to make that happen. Right? He talks about the traveling teachers, but he also talks about right, the, the hospitality that comes from the church, right? that supports what they need to fulfill to do. We, again, this is not a, a, an idea that is, is just with John's writings. In fact, we see it through all of the New Testament writers. Uh, again, Paul teaches on it the most, and we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, where Paul writes, he says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord, and God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Right, we all have different gifts. In fact, there are 23 different spiritual gifts described in the New Testament. Right, and as you see, right, we don't all have the same gifts, right, because we don't all have the same roles. And as we learn this, though, we, we understand, right, that we are a part of the body of Christ. Again, within this letter, right, we see the different gifts. I mean, John describes a few different gifts. We see the gift of teaching, right, and the gift of evangelism that is that is a part of these traveling teachers, and yet he talks to Gaius and, and, and commends his gifts of hospitality and of service and support. Again, from this, we can see that all roles are imperative to accomplishing the mission. Right? There is not one role that is more important than the other. Even though you know, one is more public than the other, it doesn't mean it's any more important. 
that all roles, all gifts are imperative to the church accomplishing its mission. And even though we have different roles and different gifts, they all come from the same God as we work for the same mission. Again, Paul reiterates this fact here at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, when, when he says, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it, and if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. For all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. We're all connected, right? Again, if I do my gift well and my role well, and you do yours well, then God is glorified, and, and people find Christ, and, and we all move forward in our journey. And there are not the same roles, but we need each other. And again, as we're here on a Sunday morning, right, it's obviously I'm the one that stands in front of everybody and it's the public thing, but, but there are numerous people in all kinds of teams that, that, that are working and fulfilling their roles on a Sunday morning, most of which you don't see. But I'm thankful for every one of them. Right, and as we, as we know that, right, that, that every role is imperative, Right? We understand this theological foundation that John has established within this letter, and then he moves into verses 9 and 10. Now, verses 9 and 10 is where Paul addresses this man, Diotrephes. And this man, um, John isn't very nice to. You might have noticed that here that, that, that in these verses, in verses 9 and 10, that, that in fact John points out five different issues with Diotrephes' actions and leadership. Now again, just we're gonna, I'm going to run through these five really quickly. We could spend an entire sermon, probably a couple sermons, on just these five points. Okay, but again, what, what they are here is, is the first one is that he points out how he loves to be the leader. And, and again, there's a big difference between loving where God has put you to lead and loving being the leader. Because attitude and ego can take over very quickly. Hey, the next thing he talks about is, is how he refuses to have anything to do with us. Again, a big red flag of a leader, especially within the church, is if they chase off other leaders. Right? And again, if you go back to Jesus' ministry and how much he talked about unity within the body of Christ. And again, a big red flag would be if, if a leader is running off other leaders. Number three is, is he talks about the, these evil accusations he's making against us. Again, gossip, backstabbing, deception, sabotage. These are not terms that should describe the body of Christ. And yet, sometimes... They're very true. All right, number four, as he points out how Diotrephes refuses to welcome the traveling teachers. Again, are we truly on the same team? Are we working on the same mission of expanding God's kingdom? And the fifth one is, is, is that how he tells others not to help them, and, and if they do help, he puts them out of the church. Right, and this obviously creates divisiveness among the body of Christ. Because the reality is that leadership, whether it's good leadership or bad leadership, always affects a lot of people. All right, and John's leadership, as well as Diotrephes' leadership, is affecting other people. There's ripples to their leadership. The irony here in these verses 
is that Diotrephes seems to have done to John exactly what John taught us to do in 2 John. Right? When he talks about establishes false teachers and, and what we should do and get four false teachers and to, to, to distance yourself and do that. And, and it seems that now John's words have been used against him right, by Diotrephes as, as he has expelled John and his team from his church. Am I the only one that sees the irony in that? I guess not. But the other interesting thing about here is, um, you know, is the national accountability that comes up with that, right? It, it saying, again, is I'm sure John is, is questioning, you know, am I teaching the truth? Right? Obviously, Diotrephes has concluded that John himself is a false teacher, which is why he's followed that advice of, of what to do. But the other interesting thing about this, these verses is, is what John doesn't say. Because what John doesn't do is John does not label Diotrephes as a false teacher. Now again, I would think in that moment, that's what I'm expecting as I read these, this description. Right? That, that, that John should label him as an antichrist, as a false teacher, and that we should do to him what he's doing to us. But John doesn't say that, which is a huge note to make. And then John finally gets to the real reason for the letter, right, in verse 11, where he says, Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. And this is, again, the, the real reason for writing, right, to, to encourage Gaius, his friend, right, to not follow this bad example and to continue down the road that he's moving on. And, and John gives Gaius five, or sorry, four action steps, right, in verses 11 and 12. Now, these are very similar to what he gave in 2 John to the church he wrote to in, in last week's letter. And, but the, and again, we could spend a lot of time on these. We're just going to have to run through them quickly. So if you're filling in, you're, get ready to write. Right? Here we go. The first action step is this, is to be conscious of what influences you. Right? Be conscious of what you're following. Again, he's telling guys, don't be influenced by this bad example of leadership, but yet stay on the right path. It, which leads to, to, to the next one, right? The second thing in verse 11, which is to stay focused on Christ. Again, don't follow this human example of bad leadership, but follow Christ and stay focused on him. Don't stray from, from what you know right, about who Christ is. Right, the third is, is he, he points out to Gaius that the people's actions will reveal their true intentions. And he says, know this to be true, right? It's again, that, that, uh, remember that those who do good will prove to be God's children, right? And those that do bad will show that they're not. Yeah, people's actions will reveal their true intentions. What is what they're doing? What does it prove that they're really trying to accomplish? And then the last action step he gives them is, is to trust Demetrius. Right, which, again, then we get to the, to the real reason he wrote, right, is to recommend Demetrius. And notice John takes us on kind of a huge rabbit trail to get there, doesn't he? Right, and, but the big point here is knowing that there are leaders you can trust. 
Right? And uh, like I said, this letter is truly a letter of recommendation. I'm telling Gaius, focus and trust the right people. Right? Be on your toes. Evaluate different people's leadership. Are they a person that you want to influence your life? Because the reality, if we go back to the standard that John has presented, if they are living truth and love, then it will be proven out in their leadership and in their life and in the fruit that they produce. So as we look at these action steps, the, the obvious question right, and challenge for us is, am I living these out in my life? Because the reality is we can find bad leaders all over the place. Right, and we must ask the question, are, what's truly influencing my life? And, and am I fulfilling the role that I need to fulfill that God's given me right, to expand his kingdom through his church? And ultimately, it still comes back, that not just through all of John's writings, but again, all of scripture that tells us that the standard always comes back to Jesus. Right, that this is what you can trust. Hey, and and as, we, as we realize that, again, the, the natural challenge then is, is to be obedient to what God has asked us to do. Am I doing my part of fulfilling the Great Commission? Am I, am, am I, do I believe that my role in God's body is imperative and that I will fulfill it? 100%, no, even no matter what other people say. Even if people are saying evil things about me, right, I'm going to follow John's example. I'm not going to label them so they write unless their, their actions prove where they're at. Right, but yet I'm going to keep moving forward based on what God has called me to do, which leads you to my final thought this morning, which comes from Galatians 1.10, where it says, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Again, I just say, are you Christ's servant today? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Right? If you have not prayed and, and accepted him into your life and, and invited him into your life, then, then you're not Christ's servant. And I encourage you to pray and accept him. That's where your journey starts. But if you are Christ's servant, are you going to fulfill what he's calling you to do? Are you going to, based on what God tells you to do, not on what other people say or think or do? Right, but I'm going to let Christ influence me first and be obedient. You know, whatever God needs you to do, I hope you'll do it. Lord God, we praise you today that you love us. Lord, you love us more than we can imagine. And God, we thank you, God, that you love us enough to not leave us the same. God, we pray that you'll continue to transform each of our hearts and lives. God, that you'll speak to us, Lord. Show us our next step of our journey. And God, give us the strength we need to be obedient and follow through with that step. Lord, we thank you, God, that we can trust you. God, that we stay focused on you, that no matter what happens around us, God, it doesn't change who you are. And it doesn't change what you call us to do as your church. And God, I pray that as we go today as we go through this next week, even through this next month leading up to Easter, God, that, that we would shine your light in this world. God, that we would truly be your church. 
that we would be here for each other, hold each other accountable, to lift each other up, to celebrate what you're doing. God, and that we would be your church to this world, God, and showing them who you really are and how much you love them. Lord, guide us as we go this week if you're obedient to everything you called us to do. Thank you for being with us, for not leaving us, but Lord, for guiding our steps. Guide us as we go in Jesus' name.